So back in the book of Romans, I always like to, for all the different things we talk about, like to come back, probably say this a lot now that I'm thinking about it, but for all the different things that we talk about, I really, really, really love coming back to this uh, really rich foundational book in the Christian faith. Uh, the book of Romans is wonderfully theological, richly, warmly theological. Um, a lot of believers don't love to get into theology because it seems very academic, seems maybe kind of dry compared to um, other things, you know. Um, but let me promise you that um, a, a study of theology, a rich understanding of theology, will deepen your worship. It will uh, enhance your walk with God. It'll build your faith. It'll fortify your faith. Um, because to try and have a relationship with God without genuine biblical knowledge um, is prone to all kinds of issues and shortcomings and pitfalls and that kind of thing. So let me encourage you to uh, study deeply uh, theology, uh, especially here in the New Testament. We're looking at the book of Romans. This is such a, uh, a central, fundamental, foundational book for the believer to be acquainted with. And so we've been doing our best to kind of make our way through it and uh, approach it in a way that is both meaningful but accessible. We want to try and plumb some of the depths of what's here, but we don't want to make it erudite and so lofty that it's hard to really understand either. We want to kind of break it down and get a sense of it. That, that's actually very important in this particular passage too, because as Paul has been talking about justification by faith, he's been talking about how the finished work of Christ is the, is, is the entire basis of our relationship with Christ, not our works. Uh, he has talked about our predicament, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He'll reference that again here in uh, chapter 5. Um, uh, he has been talking about all of these things, the promises that come and all of this. Um, but here he will begin to sort of talk about in, uh, I hate to use the word technical, but that may be kind of a, a way to put this, sort of a technical sense, what our actual predicament was as children of Adam. Um, and now we are children of God by faith because of Christ's finished work. But in the same way that the fall in Adam brought about our predicament, the offering that Christ gave of himself, dying on the cross for us, brought our justification and, and brought us from being sons and daughters of Adam, strictly speaking, now to become uh, children of God. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and read the passage here, starting in verse 12, and we'll probably get through about verse 21. We'll see how it goes. Um, but therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Again, there it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here, Paul, in a truncated way, says the same thing. All sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, um, uh, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So again, Paul here explains what our predicament was. In Adam, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all die. Now, that is, uh, that is an element to our faith that we want to make sure we understand. We are spiritually dead because of Adam. Uh, in the fall, in his transgression against what God had said. And you could probably make something of the fact that Adam, uh, Eve seemed to be deceived, but as Paul says, Adam was not deceived. He partook uh, with, with some sense of knowledge. He knew that God had said not to eat of uh, this, the fruit of this tree, but yet he did nonetheless. And there's some wonderful exposition on the why he might have done that. 
My favorite of those expositions is that he was so in love with his bride, who had taken to the fruit, he didn't want to live the rest of his eternity watching her um, suffer the consequences of her sin, namely death. And so I think that's a beautiful take on that. I I don't know if, if that's what it was or not. But it's a beautiful thing. But in any case, uh, in the midst of the fall, there in uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind in Adam and Eve, and the effects of the fall have infected all of mankind ever since. Uh, you and I have a sin nature today because of that act of defiance and what God had said, that act of rebellion and doing what God said not to do. And so here we are. As children of Adam, as those who have uh, just through the the family tree of Adam, uh, you'll see this throughout the Old Testament, but it is kind of fascinating that the last, um, in in the end of the Old Testament there in Malachi, it it speaks about uh, the curse. And uh, and there's a specific context that's being spoken of there, but essentially um, it, it is reflective of the fact that mankind is under a curse and has been since Adam. And significantly, as we make our way to the end of the New Testament, Christ having paid for our sins, him now having established his kingdom, and the new heavens and new earth and all of these kinds of things are now without the curse anymore. The curse is where we live. This is where we are right now. And Paul is explaining that the reason for that is because of one man. Uh, And this is where a concept comes in, uh, scripturally speaking, when we uh, study the various topics of Scripture, this falls under the heading of of what is called federalism, or the idea of federal headship. Uh, when you, If you hear uh, theologians or you hear people talking about the idea of federalism within the context of Christianity, uh, the first time I ever heard it, being sort of a government nerd, um, I thought this had to do with sort of the tension between strong central government and strong states governments and that kind of thing, federalism like Uh, you know, the founders had intended our system to be built upon. That's not what it's about at all, actually. So when you hear that term, you need to sort of put the, you know, civics thinking mindset on the side, and you need to think instead of what's actually in play here. And this is the idea of whose headship we fall under. Well, in the fall, we come under the headship of Adam. And it's not a matter of... of, uh, really, I guess maybe it's put in the positive. It's an easy thing to see, as Paul says, all sinned. You know, we're not under Adam's headship because we sin, but rather it becomes obvious that we're under Adam's headship because we all sinned. Uh, if we want evidence of it, just think of the last wrong thought you had. Don't really, because I don't want you to dwell on it. But the fact that you and I have had wrong thoughts, which is where sin, the act, the action or expression or outworking of sin comes from, is just simply an evidence of the fact that we are sinners. Jesus, of course, put the lock on that whole deal when he said, look, if you, uh, if you com- it's not just that you commit adultery, it's that you lust after a woman. It's not just that you commit murder, it's that you hate somebody. Why? Because these are where this is the birthplace, the seedbed of the action of sin that takes place outwardly. It happens first inwardly. It's not that we are sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. And this is evidence of our being under the headship of Adam until, until, and this is where verse 15 comes in. Notice Paul goes on. Well, actually, in the end of verse 14, Paul says that Adam is a type of Christ. And he'll explain what that means here in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have uh, the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Uh, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ." So the idea here is that in the same, there is a similarity in a very specific sense between Adam and Jesus, or as, as Paul will sometimes uh, describe, the first Adam and the last Adam. Uh, and the, the similarity is simply that something enters in because of the act of that one man. In the case of Adam, the thing that entered in was sin because of rebellion. But in Christ, because of his obedience and ultimately his deity and his humanity, dies for our sins. Therefore, by faith, through this one man, through faith, we receive the gift of salvation. We ultimately receive justification. So, in Adam, all die. But in Christ, we are made alive. Okay? So, this is where the similarity is, in one man. However, as Paul says, the free gift is not like the trespass. Uh, that's where the similarity ends. At that point, we now start to look at Jesus in one sense as the one through whom something enters, but in a very different sense, through whom life enters in contrast to what came because of Adam. Tried not to make that too flip-floppy or hard to understand. Tried to keep it simple. But that is basically what Paul's entire discussion here is about. We are doomed in our sin because we are children of Adam. And we know that because we sin like Adam sinned. It's in our nature. This is the fallen sin nature that we carry with us throughout our lives. And, but, however, it is the sin nature that we now battle with the new nature that is given to us in Christ. Paul would talk about this. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn one book to your right, in, um, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, two books to your right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here you are in Romans chapter 5. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice what Paul has to say here. Um, Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, this is important. It wasn't just that Jesus came and fixed a bit of an issue with each one of us and tweaked us a little bit to kind of get us back on track. No, he recreated us. Uh, He took us from what we once were, broke us down to nothing, our pride wiped away because we recognize we are completely lost and dead in our sin, and he brings us to life, recreating us, uh, ultimately, uh, again, we're a new creation, as Paul says here, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he goes on then to speak about that ministry of reconciliation that now flows from the fact of reconciliation, that we have been made right with God, and therefore now we call out to others to be reconciled to God, because in Christ, he was reconciling sinful fallen man to himself. In other words, we were once one thing, now we are something else. And so, that being said, back into Romans chapter 5, this becomes really the, the heart of this discussion about federalism or federal headship, and that's what is ultimately in view here. Uh, it's, a, it's an idea that's not typically spoken about 
in uh, from pulpits. It's not something that is you know generally the source of conversation over coffee at Starbucks when you're talking about your faith and that kind of thing. But it's very, very important for us to understand it uh, because we were one thing. Now we are another thing. We were once under the curse of Adam, his headship. We were under that sin and the curse, I should say. Now we are children of God, recreated new creations in Christ. We were one thing, now we're another. We were under one headship, now we are under a different headship. Um, Therefore, verse uh, 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Again, you can see that sort of opposite fork in the road there. We were one thing, now in Adam, now in Christ, we are something else entirely. Now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Uh, now Paul referenced, uh, well, reference what Paul said earlier, I should say, that uh, in verse 13, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Uh, on the one hand, it's, you can't really almost, uh, it's hard to single out somebody for sinning when they didn't know they were sinning, even though they were actually sinning. But there's a, there's a, an, uh, a measure of that understanding of that guilt and sin that was missing before the law was given. And so it becomes important to recognize that the law is given to identify, or uh, how does he put it here again, um, uh, where uh, uh, the law came in to increase the trespass, not to necessarily uh, make the sin a worse kind of sin, but rather instead to increase the understanding or shed light on the idea that it is sin. And so therefore now recognizing that we are in sin, we recognize our need to be removed from the one headship and brought under the other. But without that exposure of our sin by virtue of the law, we might go on sort of ignorantly. We still are guilty because we are sinful by nature. But the law, in serving its purpose to illuminate our sin and to also cause us to recognize our inability to keep the law, it's another whole thing that Paul will talk about in Galatians. But once that sin is illuminated, we recognize where we actually are. It's kind of like uh, we're walking around in a dark place and all of a sudden the lights come on and we realize we're standing over a pit that leads to an eternity apart from God. Uh, and, and if not for the light, we might have completely just kept walking there, totally ignorant of the fact that that's where we were headed. But now the law is given as a means of helping us to understand a tool, a, 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 uh, a, light, a flashlight, if you will, to make sure that we understand that we are in sin. That is the purpose of the law. And so it comes to increase the law, but... Where sin increased or where grace or sin abounded, grace superabounded is what's really in view here in this passage. The idea where the sin increased, grace abounded even more, all the more. So now we're recognizing that once we're in this predicament, we realize the, the predicament that we're in, we call out and say, what can I do? Well, the grace of God is the answer to that. Nothing you can do. Rather, instead, God's grace is given. And it's given in grand abundance above and beyond any sin that we would have ever committed. And so that, as sin, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And so, again, a topic that is not necessarily always the most uh, discussed, and frankly, in many cases, uh, this is a passage that has confused a lot of people. They don't understand what's being said. Simply put, without trying to sound too simplistic about it, it is actually a very simple concept to understand. In Adam, all die, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15. Did we even read that passage? I'm going to go back to it and read it again, uh, just in case. I think... um, no, because I think we went to 2 Corinthians. Let me go to 1 Corinthians 15, and let me read the passage that had come into my mind a moment ago, but I'm thinking I didn't actually read. Um, this is Paul's grand discussion on the resurrection and the necessity of the resurrection at the heart of our faith as evidence of the fact that Jesus did, in fact, pay for our sins, and also evidence that we will, in turn, live beyond the grave, that we have eternal life because Christ lives, so too shall we live. It's central to the idea. But for some reason, they were denying the resurrection. They were not maybe comfortable talking about the resurrection because in in Greek philosophy, this sounded like a a really bizarre thing to put your hopes in uh, for a number of reasons. But Paul is saying, look, forget all that nonsense out there. The resurrection is central to our faith. Well, in verse 21, in the midst of this discussion, he says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And then he he goes on to say, For in as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then he goes in to discuss the idea of the glorified body and all of those different things. And so on the one hand, is kind of bringing this back around to where we start, and this is where we'll close, um, being under Adam's headship or being under sin by virtue of being a child of Adam, uh, we are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. We are by nature rebels against him. But there's also a physical consequence to that as well. And in Adam, all die. Not just, uh, you know, in the beginning when, when they sinned and God said, because you have done this, surely you'll die. Uh, later in the scriptures, the soul that sins shall surely die. This concept is true throughout Scripture. That's our condition, both physically and spiritually. You and I grow old and die today because of the sin nature and because of sin in the world. But Jesus has come to override that, that even though you and I might die physically, there is a glorious resurrection awaiting us. There are those who are living who won't die because of the rapture when Jesus comes to snatch away his bride. Um, Jesus could say to, you know, to Mary and to Martha, the idea that, um, you know, he who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. Uh, That sounds like a, a weird, you know, way to put an expression kind of a thing. But this is what he's talking about, essentially, is that in Christ, all are made alive. And so therefore, you and I have hope, not just spiritually, but even physically. Death has been conquered because of what Christ has done. Therefore, we are no longer under the grip of what happened in Adam. We are now under the grace of God. So there you go. Um, Again, a passage that's not always um, clamored over in theological circles and that kind of thing, although I would suggest it really should be, because it's a very paramount, fundamental idea that we should understand uh, in our faith. It helps us get a sense of our actual predicament and what we've been delivered from and delivered 
too. So if you have any thoughts or questions about any of that, uh, hopefully it was helpful. And we're going to continue to make our way through the book of Romans as we kind of fit our studies here in this uh, fundamental foundational book in the midst of all the other things that we talk about. So as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, whatever, you can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel, on our website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can email me from there. Also, if you go to my website at parsonspad.com, we also post these videos there as well and you can reach out to me from there. So thanks again so much. And Father, we do pray that uh, we would develop a deep love for theology, that as we come to understand the deep things in Scripture, that we would recognize the growth that we experience for it, the deepening of our of our worship of you as we recognize you better, we know more about you, we come to understand more fully who you are and what you've done. Uh, the person of Christ becomes all the more elevated in our minds and hearts when we recognize what he has saved us from and what he has saved us to. And so we just pray that the scriptures would would beckon us and that we would answer the call and dive in deeply and drink deeply from this draft of living water. Thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you and bless you for the good news of the gospel and that by it we are saved. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We ask you to continue to lead us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.